to the latest episode of the It's Canon Podcast. That's right, this is part two, episode eight, latest season. As always, we are your hosts, I'm Boris, and this week I am joined by Phil. Hey everybody, how you doing? I'm doing really, really good, really good. You, you like my my song choice? Brilliant, buddy. I try. Yeah, you you, you keep on hitting it out of the park. <laughs> well, I might as well do that with the song choice as opposed to our technology. Um, you know, so at the top of the show, you know, we... I will just uh, flat out say that uh, this part of the show is being recorded after... The actual interview was pre-recorded, um, and during the interview, for one reason or another, and then this time I'm going to blame Windows, uh, I was having some major syncing issues with the audio and the recording and the processor. It was just way too much for my actual computer to handle, and there were parts of the interview that were dropped. Uh, during the first 10 minutes or so uh, of the hour-long interview. So that is unfortunate. I do want to apologize to Lauren and our listeners. Uh, but um, essentially what we were talking about, we were talking about, you know, uh, we were approaching the discussion of toy collecting and really, really only thinking about collecting and collectors because, you know, we're all adults now. But we have to remember that there is still a demographic of children who play with toys. So as it pertains to toys, there are two major groups. There's your collectors and your actual players, your doers, your your children, who will, you know, take the card out, uh, you know, keep the toys loose and whatnot. And we were essentially talking about, you know, the, the difference between the two and how toy certain toy manufacturers don't distinguish between said groups and you know how sometimes a toy might be for both groups or the price point might not make sense um and you know we kind of talked a little bit about um about the difference the similarities and whatnot uh so it was a really i'm I'm gonna tell you like the whole audience here or something i've been checking out the at toy wizards youtube channel and this is a pretty lively debate on there um, I think Lauren brings up specifically the G.I. Joe stuff, and they just dropped a video on it yesterday. It's really educational. If you're into that. Yep. So, yeah, so it's a great um, reference, actually, their YouTube. So, you know, this week we are talking about all things toys, collectors, playing, price points. Um, we bring up Funko uh, because, you know, to some toy collectors, that is a word that you don't want to bring up to certain people because, you know, what are they? 
Are they a toy? Are they figurines? Are they co for collectors only? We kind of talk a little bit about that. We also talk about exclusivity. Uh, so it's a really fun chat that we had with Lauren Stone from Toy Wizards. Uh, you know, you can find Toy Wizards anywhere um, on the internet, whether it be Twitter, uh, their website, that is their handle pretty much everywhere. I'll add all the links in our show notes. Um, but yeah, Lauren Stone was awesome to chat to. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, it's someone who um, we followed each other on social media and have been following each other on social media for years. And we finally found the right time to link up and, you know, bring her on the show. So that was always fun. Um, so, yeah, so we talk about all things toys and we hope that you enjoy the chat. So after the interview, we're going to wrap up with some of our final thoughts and that is that. So we hope you enjoy the interview, and it's going to play right now. On the line, we have a very special guest to take part in our chat about all things toys. We have Lawrence Stone, Editor-in-Chief of Toy Wizards. Welcome, Lauren. Um, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. No, it's it's honestly my pleasure. Um, I you know we've been following each other on social media for years, and mm. you know we've finally been able to find the time to link up and have this chat. And I think you know, especially right now, because the world is always changing, and especially right now, it's really changed. I think it's a great time to kind of touch base and see how the world of toys is coping with everything. Um, and, you know, especially right now, we are in the middle of the summer. Typically speaking, right now, we would be talking about San Diego Comic-Con. We would be talking about Fan Expo. We would be setting up for New York Comic-Con, but not this year. This year, everything is thrown to for a loop. Is kind of coping how the toy world has coped and we're gonna you know have a great conversation about toys and toys in general so before we really go there lauren do you want to tell our listeners a little more about yourself and toy wizards especially absolutely oh my gosh what an intro okay so me personally i've uh, been a pop culture writer for years now i got my start on crack.com uh, transitioned over to my own publication which is called pop lurker and then from there, because I was building that brand so successfully, a friend mentioned and, and other things as well, uh, he and I decided to team up. He had an idea for a toy news website. He pitched me the idea. I really liked it. I said, I've had this positive history of brand building and social media um, you know, awareness and being able to build this platform. And I think that with his idea and my business sense and the mutual love of toys from perspective and a collector slash fan perspective, I think that we can make this thing take off. And so we launched Toy Wizards in beta December 2018. And then January 2019, we we're good to go and the site exploded. And it's just been amazing traffic, amazing response ever since. And right now, um, you know, we have our toy review videos, we've been really focusing on our YouTube channel. And so now that we've kind of uploaded all of our toy reviews up there we're going to start doing more original content so there's a lot in the pipeline and yeah toy toy news and toy industry happenings they never stop moving it's it's been fantastic yeah the toy inter industry in general is just booming um you know how i knew that the toy industry made it when netflix yeah 
came out with the toys that made us. You, that show honestly got me uh, re-energized with toys. I used to be a huge collector. Um, and then two years ago, I essentially lost my comic collection, my toy collection, um, because of a flood in my apartment. And I was just like, I was down. Um, and I wanted nothing to do with collecting or hobbying or anything. And then little by little, um, I just got re-energized. And when, when the toys that made us came out and seeing the history and, and, you know, the, the references and just how important toys actually are in our culture, it got me right back into things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It really is amazing because I, I was watching, uh, rewatching some of the, the shows that discuss the, the fascination with, with the toy collecting and how no matter what it, it's, even if it's not the same toy, if it just reminds you of an era or, or when you grew up and you go back and you get something, you go and you get something that brings that memory back. It's really a huge proponent to a lot of people's mental health and, and happiness and, and just their outlook on life, just recapturing that moment and being able to visit when they were a kid and watching the, the Saturday morning Hanna-Barbera cartoons or, or whatever the situation was because it was so idolized in, in, in that piece of our culture, right? Like it, it, you'll never get those Saturday mornings back because now we have Netflix in, in that, you know, really weird turnaround way. We can watch the cartoons or, or, or get whatever content that they have available anytime we want 24 hours a day. Right. So this really spoke to the fetish of toy collecting on that level. And I think it's a, it was really eye opening for me seeing that, that's really what drives this market. You know, kids that were maybe a lot, a lot, you know, like just kids when star Wars, uh, uh, the prequels came out are probably dying to get their hands on unopened star Wars toys right now, because I remember going to uh, an antique show and those were hot items. And this was two years ago. And I'm like, really? It's a bad movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the people were like, no, the, the kids have grown up. They have disposable cash. They want this stuff. How much do you think nostalgia plays a factor to the hobbyist enthusiast collector? All right. My brain, my brain is spiraling with excitement right now. So we've kind of, in my opinion, I'm going to answer your question directly. But in my opinion, we have kind of two avenues for it to go. There's the nostalgic adult collector. And then there's the child playing with toys who some of those children will become toy collectors. To the future toys, it was more like, look how the toy industry and collectibles market has evolved by using Back to the Future as an example. And we've come really, really, really far because you had originally, you know, little trinkets and like really crude things. You had no, no, no action figures of like Marty and Doc back when the movie was new wheel style DeLorean for kids which was funny because that specific movie wasn't geared toward children and then as you know the, those anniversaries hit that's what you always got to look out for is the 10 year anniversary and that's when you can see the reverence held by collectors and what this franchise may or may not mean to people and so when you start seeing those anniversaries coming and that's when like new die cast cars by Jada Toys or like a sideshow statue or a Hot Toys premium piece that's where you can really understand what adults with disposable income. And I, you know, and you brought up a great point. You know, we were kind of really focusing on the collector hobbyist, but then there's, you know, like you mentioned, the the other the flip side of the coin. There are people 
kids, whatever age you are, who actually play with these toys. For example, when Mattel lost the DC um, multiverse, you know, rights, they're still making like the um, superhero girls, like DC superhero yeah. girl, like Barbie styles. But like the, you know, as we all know, the, that Mattel doesn't doesn't make DC toys anymore. Yep. So Spin Master got some and then McFarlane got some. Um, to me, McFar- the McFarlane toys, which are in the which cost twenty dollars US, that is debatable on whether that's low line collectible or if that's higher end kids toy. Uh, same with the new Masters of the Universe origin line. You have adult collectors screaming about it. I don't need to collect this again. It, the paint doesn't look right. It's not from my childhood. It's a $15 action figure. It's someone else's childhood. I'm going to take it out and I'm going to, you know, see what the articulation point, see what it does. And then it becomes very clear to me, is this a playable toy or is this a shelf toy? You know what I mean? And and, and the best thing that I can think of is the six-inch black series from from Hasbro on Star Wars. It's like completely aimed at collecting six inch doll style and they're on the original cards, like an exaggerated card. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, holy cow, this really is blowing up because I had to go out and get them all. You know, I was buying them off of eBay and, and a lot of places and going to, to a Craigslist and finding people who had them for sale locally to get the rare ones and hope that they priced it under. So it, it it's amazing though. I, I there's part of me that also observes the decline in toy quality, like the upping of the detail, but the decline and sometimes the quality is amazing to me as well. Unless you're going for those super great things, you know, like the Weta workshops and all that, the, the real figures, right? You know, and that's an interesting point to make. And I think it's because, like, in my opinion. It depends on the toy line, um, whether or not the new ones are junkier than the old ones. I mean, to you know, on a very technical level, we have to keep certain things like safety standards or is that a material that people use anymore? Um, you know, again, the new Masters of the Universe origin, that paint is so bright. It's so vivid. I've, I don't know what that plastic feels like. I'm somebody who's still like when my daughter buys Barbie dolls, I still miss that like rubber body weird elbow bend um barbies today are hollow they don't feel the same as when i was a kid but they're priced down barbie other than the collectible ones that you know you can still buy 60 hundred dollar barbies you know basic barbie is not as expensive as when i was a kid um when mcdonald's brought back the 40th anniversary uh happy meal toys the nostalgic ones like oh here's some nuggets and here's a power ranger and here's Mm -hmm. you know this um, they felt different. I still loved them, but yeah, they totally felt different. A concern right now for the new G.I. Joe retro line that was just announced uh, the other day on Hasbro Pulse's Fan Friday. People are like, if it doesn't have an O-ring in it, then I don't want it. And I'm like, well, what new toy is going to have O-rings and rubber bands and rivets? That's not <laughs> how things are made anymore. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's there's nostalgia and then there's literal just remaking in the old junkie deteriorating molds. And, you know, you might get some slack here for me saying junkie, but it's just, you've got to kind of be compassionate for the evolution. (laughs) It's like this for a reason is how I kind of, yeah. I can recall my original GI Joe, the thumbs broke off like in no time. And the O ring got stretched out and I played the crap out of those action figures, but I can look back on that and think, Hey, 
there's room for improvement here. And you know what? The quality as well, not the quality, but the detailing was really low on that stuff. And then you sacrifice that for some of the detail that you get now in the action figures, which I think helps with that element of realism for kids and collectors, right? And and to see them in different lights. So I I don't think I have a problem with that as a collector. I, you know what I mean? Like like enhancing them. If I, I sympathize with the idea that no O-ring, and I totally agree with you at the same time that it's got to be better. Like, you know, the one fan saying, I don't want it because it's not the same as when I was a kid. But then you're sitting there going, is that even allowed anymore? Like you can't have pieces like that and inhaling them. Right. Maybe not. I mean, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. Um, I can see it both ways. You know, for example, Mego, which had its revival a couple of years back, they're still using rubber bands um, because their toys never had that articulation. It was all articulation through rubber bands and their, their toys, you know, you can use the word action figure on Migos. I think, I think they're dolls. You know, we can have, we can have a battle. It doesn't matter, but you know, Mego dolls still use that rubber band articulation, but are they doing it as a throwback as a nod? Um, you know, who is, who is the collector there? Are children playing with them? I bought one for my kids. They weren't so into it. They broke it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Migo, that's, that in itself is, you know, we can talk for hours about Migo toys alone and kind of what the appeal was and, you know, why they became like the go-to collector, especially like the Star Trek Migos or the Batman Migos. It's just crazy how, you know, how, how critical they are for some collectors and how crucial they are and how important they are. But I, I you know what, I'm going to agree a hundred percent with you. They are dolls. I've, I never saw the appeal in them. I never had one. I never played with them. And I, I like, for me, it's just like, no, nah, I'm not going to really have those in my collection. Um, as a child, I was more into the mechas. So my brother had this beautiful um, die cast Voltron and I broke the hell out of it because I would actually play with it. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, when I was like seven, eight, nine, um, that's when the Power Rangers toys of the early nineties started coming out. And I was like, I was just begging my parents for those. Like I just wanted the, you know, the, the Zoids and the Zords, sorry. And like, there was nothing more than I wanted just to put them together. And like, you know, along with the Transformers, uh, G2 toys, there was nothing like more thrill seeking than feeling like you're almost breaking the toy, trying to put it all together. Um, you know, that to me was my favorite part about, about toys is kind of like just the size of, of, of the actual toys themselves. Um, so, you know, for me, that's kind of like what the, the toys that I loved. And then obviously you had your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys. Like, you know, if I had kept that collection, who knows what that would be worth today. Um, and, and I saw that, you know, they're re-releasing those TMNT toys and I just want those so so badly um you know thinking to your past uh, i mean this is a question both for phil and lauren you know what is that toy that got you into toy collecting or was it just a natural progression but like sort of what's that nostalgic tick that that made you go and fall in love with toys lauren you may go first sure um, for me, you know, it's funny. I've always been a collector of things. Um, and by that, I mean, um, when like the little mermaid came out, I was four, I was born in 1985. I'm almost 35. So there I've aged myself. Um, so when the little mermaid came out, 
I just wanted mermaid everything. So I had just mermaids, I had aerials and just various mermaids of every, you know, type. So that I collected that. Um, I like little vinyl tchotchke things. I love robots. I still collect that stuff to this day. But I think for me, um, I, you know, I had Rainbow Bright. I had, I'm always really big on Spectra dolls. I had the, the small Shira dolls. The, they were like five inches. But I think for me, what made it me pop as a toy collector instead of just a person that had a lot of toys um, is not having something. And, you know, you'd mentioned the Power Ranger toys from the 90s and the Megazords and stuff. And for me, I started really collecting toys as an adult collector in about 2007. And it was a result of what I did not have as a kid, not the thing that I had as a kid and I lost, but like, I always wanted that robot. Now I'm, I'm almost a grown up. Cause you know, back then I was like 21, 22. And I was like, N- I am going to now collect everything that my parents could not afford or did not want to buy me. So from there I started collecting, um, you know, power ranger toys and megazords and video game things. And, um, that's what, you know, what started it for me is just having that freedom to, <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, having the freedom to not be judged and living on my own and having shelf space. Um, as a teenager, I was a big anime collector because I was getting really big into anime when I was yeah. 14. So I had tons of like VHS video. I had stacks and stacks and stacks of just bootleg videos. My whole room was covered in posters. I had any like Gundam or Evangelion thing I could find. So I just always had shelves of stuff. But I still didn't really identify as a toy collector until, again, like 2007. And then I'm like, I'm I'm rolling with this. I'm this is this is the person I'm becoming. Right. You and I are basically the same age. Okay, we are the same age. So do you remember back in around 96, 97, the Sailor Moon toys that came out and how like that was the biggest craze? Like I've never seen a Christmas where people were willing to hurt each other over toys that like to me that was just insane especially finding that one sailor moon doll that you know no one else could find which was actually sailor moon um because if you didn't have all of them then what's the point right so you're talking about those yeah those frog-faced urban dolls and it's funny (laughs) it's funny you should mention those so i've always been the person where when i collect um power ranger toys i don't care about the rangers i want the robots when i collect sailor moon toys I don't care about the girls. I want the lockets and the, yep. the and the wands. Like I want the accessories. Um, I want the things that make the noises. So you mentioned, you know, 96, 97. To tell you the truth, my family was actually living in Israel from 94 to 97. So there was a little bit of Americana that I missed out. Um, things were just very different for me. But we came back in 97. I got super into Sailor Moon at, in like 98. And so by the time I was into Sailor Moon, um, I got my one of the lockets for like five bucks at KB Toys. Everything was on clearance. Everything was on discount. Um, so but I do have some of those chunky old 90 toys, 90s toys in my closet for sure. Yeah, that it was just a craze. Like, you know, it was it was it was interesting times to say the least. Oh. And I remember going to uh, Walmart, and you know, my sister, my little sister, was big into Sailor Moon, so we had to find all of them. And it was one of those like, if if I didn't get them, I will not be happy for the rest of the year type thing. So it was just crazy. Phil, how about you? Oh, I remember the Cabbage Patch days and watching it on news where people were like clamoring over one another at the local toys r us but for my for my collection personally it's very similar to to lauren's story there where i'm like i had toys growing up 
And Star Wars was obviously key for me, um, mostly because Star Wars labeled everything. I had Star Wars bed sheets. I had Star Wars, you know, anything you could imagine. As far as each week, my mom would say to me, you can go buy your allowance. You can go buy a Star Wars figure or a G.I. Joe. So those were my two main franchises growing up. And I went religiously each week to the toy store and I bought one. I bought one or the other, you know, Star Wars kind of petered out, obviously, due to the movie's ending. So then it manifested into G.I. Joe. A lot of kids like coming over because I had a lot of action figures, but I didn't have the bigger toys because that was outside of our purchasing scope, you know, to, to get a vehicle. That was a very rare thing. It was Christmas or a birthday that you were going to get a vehicle. So those were very highly prized for me. Now, the funny thing is, is that I'm not collecting the vehicles as much where I think I would, but I have gone back and definitely resonates with me what Lauren was saying about the video games, because I can recall picking up that just the other year, the um, the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo Entertainment System, those remakes with the HDMI output mm. and whatnot. And that was huge for me because I was so jealous of my friend Adam who had like seemingly every single video game on launch day every single for the nintendo and i had a sega <laughs> so <laughs> the sega nintendo war was on when i was growing up and the sega kids lost i'm just gonna tell you whenever we went over and played the nintendo we were like crap they have the better system <laughs> so but you it had, was you, but you had blast processing and you did what <laughs> nintendo don't man i know right i i even stick stuck with the master system i got the genesis and then i got the master system adapter so i could put a game console into a game console to get the replay which makes me laugh when i think about our previous discussions about uh, the video game compatible backwards compatibility and how arcane it was for the sega but yeah it, it's it's now you know and uh, you're you're very right as well in pointing out that when I stopped collecting stuff for being stuff and started collecting, like actually establishing my collection. Things migrated because I, I do recall buying those original Star Wars Lego sets, which reignited my interest in Lego, right? Because I'm like, oh, brilliant stroke. Yay, you know, and I have those original sets still the original Slave One, the original TIE Fighter, the original Darth Vader TIE Fighter. But now I do actually collect you know ultimate collector series star wars sets and all these things that are completely not aimed at kids you know we're talking 200 to 800 dollar sets thousands and thousands of pieces and finally lego has started branding them it used to be 16 plus was the highest age ranking that you could like 16 to 99 i guess um the highest rate age ranking and now they finally just started labeling the sets 18 plus there's no playability it's a piece that goes on your shelf when you can, when you finish building it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hard to build, right? It's not the set that you leave with the kids for, for a couple of days and see how they're making out. It's like, nope, every piece, every bag, everything is meticulous. So that's where I, I've come from and gone to with my collecting. That's yeah, awesome. I, that, that, that really, I love that. Um, in regards to actually buying the toys, you know, I, I think this is somewhere that is might be evolving, might not be evolving. So, Lauren, I kind of want to um, hear from you, you know, with online 
buyers or, you know, retails and, and the Walmarts of the world, you know, how are people collecting? How are people buying their toys? And we can talk both about, you know, the kids playing them and the collectors collecting them. Where are people getting their toys from nowadays? Well, you guys still have Toys R Us. Yes. <laughs> so lucky you. Um, but, you know, out here in the U.S., the loss of Toys R Us was detrimental. It was such a huge loss in just that ability to walk into a, a toy store. And we did have some also in the mall. You know, I've me- I mentioned KB Toys. Other places had Toy Works. Um, those those had been gone since the 90s. They didn't make it out. of. The, I don't think they made it out of the 90s. But when we lost Toys R Us, it was such an opportunity for both Walmart and Target to really step up to it. And nobody really did. So we're going to, you know, we're going to put COVID aside for a second. Let's talk about the toy stores of yesteryear. There was also a store in the mall. It was called, you know, years and years and years ago, called the Imaginarium. And basically, you know, these places took what I call the Willy Wonka approach, which was like trains were going. There was piles of Legos for kids to play with. And again, I know in our current climate, we're all like, oh my God, kids sharing toys. Let's put that aside (laughs) for just a second. Let's just, you know, let's, let's just give it, let's let it breathe. But there was like things on display. There were like little, those little magnetic animal toys. There were Legos, there were trains, there were building blocks. And so there were these little like stations of love just for kids to touch and immerse. So we're talking about kids first and you know, I'll segue to the toy, to the adult collector. That experience, that, like, do you guys remember, like, that the Nickelodeon toy run and, like, the Neverland excitement of those commercials where you're like, oh, my God, it's me and a toy store and nobody else exists. Like, just that excitement of immersion. It's gone. It's gone. So that's kind of like my, you know, that's my thought number one is that nobody took advantage of making a world for kids to touch and be excited to play and buy new toys and because you know we earlier in our conversation you had mentioned saturday morning cartoons and now things are streaming on netflix the loss of saturday morning cartoons is huge for kid toys because back in the day it was the the nature of the beast every cartoon had a corresponding toy line you'd buy the toy they'd introduce characters you'd go buy those new one-off characters because they were introduced in the cartoon so you'd buy the toy it was all propaganda for the toy line but it was so smart these were we we loved these cartoons whether you know for better or for worse we loved them because kids have so many choices now um, I know there's still cable TV. I don't have cable TV. I only have streaming. So for my kids, they're limited to like, oh, here's a Disney movie. Is there a corresponding toy? Yay. You check box. And that's how it is for a lot of kids now. They don't discover the show on their own and then ask for the toy. It's a very, very, very strange world. Like, and I don't want to just, you know, keep monopolizing this, but I, I can go on to the adult collector. I don't know. No, please go. Please go. Please okay. do. All right. I'll keep going. So as far as the adult collector, you have some really amazing retailers online. You've had Entertainment Earth, who has been strictly e-commerce since 1996. They rock. Big Bad Toy Store is amazing. Hasbro launched Hasbro Pulse. They're trying, um, you know, and, and they've made a good dent to people order directly from them. And these are all, you know, sites that package carefully, that appeal to the collector's market. Amazon has some exclusives as well. And we all know Amazon, Amazon doesn't always package things for the adult collector, but sometimes they do and things are cool. Um, what's happening 
right now at the literal moment in the toy collecting world is for some reason, somebody got a wild hair up their ass that Walmart should be getting all the exclusives. And it's horrible. (laughs) It's a bad idea because Walmart is not set up on any business level to accommodate these exclusives. They never make it to shelves. The, their website is just has been broken for toy buying for years. They, they sell from third party. They don't even sell from their own stock. It's just so much and so crazy. And, you know, they're, they don't have any bot checks. So the second things go live, they're scooped up by bots. And then if you do manage to get the toy, it often comes damaged. And if it ever actually makes it to the store shelf, which they'll have almost none in their inventory because their distribution is bad. So instead of a pallet, they'll get literally a box of six. And then you have, you know, toy sellers and toy collectors getting part-time jobs at Walmart so that they can buy it before it even hits shelves. And then, you know, they'll put it up on eBay and sell it for however much more. It's just this dirty dealing that like the uh, higher ups at Walmart don't either know or care that this is all happening. It's the worst place for collectors for collect, you know, collectibles to have gone and they're there and it sucks. And it's, you know, it's in, you, I know you, it's probably I'm both. That put they, something oh, out here. Yeah, go ahead. About Walmart. Um, such a big company and what they do with a lot of the returns is they just throw the stuff out and they RMA it without even providing the defective equipment because that's the deals that they cut with their suppliers. And I'm pretty sure the toys and everything else just falls into that. It's just garbage to them and they get their money back because they, they are nasty on the supplier side to deal with. And I know I've witnessed that firsthand. So I think that that plays a lot in their business practices and, and even going out and I can see them trying to get these exclusives and not caring. You know, they're just trying to bend the will of the toy companies to produce and supply so that they can say they've got these exclusives. And it absolutely is horrible. You're right, Lauren, because I noticed that it's either the store is really on top of it and they've got employees in there nabbing stuff out or there's completely unobservant of it. And then you'll walk in like a year after that exclusive toy was supposed to be out. And it's just sitting there on the shelf because they found the box. Exactly. Yes. Because a box, yeah, a box got lost. You're exactly right. It's just maddening as, as, as well. I also notice as an adult collector that I, I prefer right now, especially all things COVID and everything. Sure. I prefer to go on Amazon and pick stuff up and just have it simply delivered. However, I've noticed that the price of things are creeping up on Amazon. So it's no longer a super competitive place. Their Funko Pops are creeping up to $20, $25, and there should be $15. You know, And I'm like, I go into the store, and you know, as inconvenient as it is to hunt it in the store, it might be something that you need to do in the future because there's a lot of stuff that's just creeping up on the collector side on Amazon, and it's just really disappointing. You know, the, the true value of something is if you fire up ebay and you see what it's actually selling for not what the buy it now price is exactly and i tell people that all the time whenever you know i get asked about toy prices and what's what is this you know what's the value of this and i can't help everybody every day um but i always tell them i say don't look at the ebay listings see what things are actually selling for and how often they're actually selling because you can ask whatever you want for a toy but if nobody's buying it at that market price, it's not worth that market price. 
And exactly. The issue with, with eBay and things like that, though, as well, though, is that sometimes, and this happens with collectors, you know, needing to sell their collection, is that nostalgia and sentimental value plays a huge part in what they think a toy is actually worth as opposed to what the market says the toy is worth um so you know that's something else that i always take into consideration when buying online especially um or you know whatever it is that i'm doing um and it's the same with comic books you know people think that their comic collection and their comic book is by far the best and best quality it would be graded at you know 9.8 and say la vie you know but that's not necessarily the case and that's exactly right. And I've had, and that's part of the fun of the hunt, you know, exactly. in, the conven- in the convention industry, um, when, you know, when shows come back, cause they'll come back. That's part of the fun of it is having that opportunity to haggle and, you know, and I say this playfully, but yell, yell at sellers. Um, I remember specifically. So one of the things I collect, um, we were talking about sailor moon. So some people know there was this American, Sailor Moon pilot that was pitched that never made it. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was like in the vein of like Shira looking animation. So the pilot was made, the show didn't work. So they just brought over the Japanese one and dubbed it. All right, so we know that story. But so um, a couple years back, a whole bunch of animation cells from that American pilot surfaced. So I collect them when I find them and I found one in a box at a show and the dude wanted to charge me $35. I'm like, bro, this is an obscure nothing you know show like pilot that failed these are going for 10 bucks a piece at best and he's just like but it's pretty and i was like you don't charge because you think it's pretty dude (laughs) (laughs) market value doesn't isn't because you think it's pretty that's not the way it works yeah that's that's exactly it he thought it had value come on i can recall you know it's funny when you when lauren brought up about the tv shows you know i i it was such a, a manipulative space to be in but it's so great like there's so much you know like heartwarming nostalgia around it because i recall watching masters of the universe you know he man and i remember seeing that there's this guy ram man for one episode this dude came in and he had to ram a wall with his head right and i'm like oh my gosh and didn't i go out and i begged my parents to buy me the stupid ram man toy because it coincided almost instantly with its appearance at the local uh, toy store see what a coincidence yeah (laughs) and i bought that toy and it was the biggest piece of crap i ever played with because it wasn't the same plastic as all the other he-man guys he'd actually pushed down and there was a little switch on his foot so his head would push up so it was a hollow he-man action figure that had this ram action and it sucked and i'm like his arms didn't move he was like permanently in this like dildo state and i'm like (laughs) it was just it was such a weird toy i just didn't like it at all and i really regretted buying it but i'm thinking if i walk by and i saw one of those i might buy it just to be mad at it like (laughs) you know some guy here's five dollars for ram man the worst toy yeah i'll buy that to be angry at it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, and that's and that's perfect. I love that because yeah, part of nostalgia is not just I loved He-Man, therefore I need to have He-Man. It's oh my god, I remember when I saw this episode and like this whole story happened to me and my child and that's part of the childhood experience too. It's not just what you watched on TV. Like I've seen little tchotchke things and I'm like, oh my God, I had that as a kid and I buried it in my yard. Where'd it go? <laughs> yeah, like- and now it's like this little vinyl toy on my desk. So 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like commercials as well. Like back then, you know, right now we skip commercials. We probably skip commercials anytime that we, you know, show our nephews and our child or children things. Um, like for me, it's I remember watching TV going into commercial and then you know i would be introduced to the spawn todd mcfarland toys and i'm just like what are these these are insane looking these look amazing and there's a medieval spawn too like i just fell in <laughs> love with the commercials and that's what really drove me to go and buy those toys like even something like um well i forget the name of uh the male equivalent of Polly pocket was it mad uh, mighty max mighty max that's it like you know I just remember those commercials and saying, I want that so badly. So, you know, how, and this kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier is how do we now find toys for our kids? Like, are we now the filter as opposed to them, you know, watching something and, and, and kind of wanting the toy? Like, it's how do we get um, the, the new generation to follow our footsteps, so to speak? And that's a really, really interesting question and really great verbiage because I think that's why I think because it's so different than when we were kids, like you didn't just turn on the TV and watch the Crossfire game commercial and go, oh, my God, I need to play Crossfire or, you know, watch Mighty Max commercial or Creepy Crawlers and go, oh, I need to have as much fun as those kids are having because that's how it was. Yeah. Um, things are still different. Those commercials still exist. Uh, I think that's why people will do things like, oh, well, He-Man was good enough for me, so now my kid can play with He-Man. Or like, I love G.I. Joe, and now there's new G.I. Joe on the shelves, so now my kids can play with G.I. Joe. And it does, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. My daughter and I have a lot of toys in common that we're both really into, and then sometimes I'll just let her play with some of my old junky ones. Like, I have these toys called Glamour Gals, which are these, like, three and three-quarter glamorous girl you know dolls in the same scale as like gi joe or something and i have like a little container of them loose and my daughter plays with them because why not like because i have carded ones over here she can play with the loose ones yeah um but not everyone has that kind of stuff like disposable old toys for their kids to play with so they'll go well i liked this 90s toy so here or like hey i, I like that so now it's back so here and it, it's it's strange um you know, one of the things I'm always going off about, and this is actually going to be a video on the Toy Wizard YouTube coming up, is that, you know, boy toys, and I say that kind of with quotations, I don't like gendering toys, but that's, you know, where we are. Boy toys, um, action figures can continue to have these nostalgic relaunches with all the characters and they're aimed for either kid or the adult collector. But whenever girl toys experience a resurgence, it's completely redesigned and it's not aimed for the adult collector. Like when Rainbow Bright came back, when Strawberry Shortcake came back, when the ponies came back, they're not aimed for the adult collector. It's for little girls, little kids today. Right. So it's really odd. I'm going to examine that more, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah, that's so crazy because like you even look at Lego's lineup, right? And all the collectible stuff, you're right, is is basically really planted in what you'd call boy toys, you know, and trying to stay away from that, too. But, you know, I'm sure there's girls who play with the Star Wars line and, and City line and, and stuff like that. But you look at the stuff that goes into the specific aisle that's aimed at the female audience and the friends lineup and whatnot. And it it's different. Right. It doesn't look as collectible to me. And it's and they refresh it every once in a while and change it all up. You know what I mean? And I'm like, 
it was interesting because I watched that that reality show about the the Lego Masters, and they had the one lady on there. One of the judges was basically in charge of the female Lego, and I found some of her insights to be rather refreshing. And I'm hopeful that 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 line of toys at least settles down for the more more female audience or male audience, whoever wants to play with it. But it normalizes more into the Lego systems and and seeing those Lego movies, I guess, introduced me to that lineup as well, because you inevitably got some of the the friends types uh, uh, Lego minifigs in there. Uh, They were interesting, but they're not as complex and they're not as articulate and they're just different. Well, to offer some insight about the Lego friends, in my opinion, all right, so there's a statistic that shows that more men uh, collect toys, more girls, young, play with toys. So little boys, according to research, don't play with toys as much as girls do. So you, And it reflects in the toy aisle. Little girls are big on play sets right now. Those Lego Friends sets are incredible. I um, was writing an article for Retail Me Not. It'll actually go live, I, I want to say, at the end of this month. Um, about Lego sets for kids. And I was just consistently blown away by the Friends line because that's legitimate playability. There were, you know, pool parties and slides. And I just like thought back to when I was a kid and I'm like, oh my God, I would take these little minifigs, much like Polly Pocket. And I'm like, I would make them slide. They're going swimming. <laughs> there's drama. There's a story. And for someone like me who was always really, really immersive, r- immersed into like imaginary play, Um, As opposed to like when I played Barbies, I had friends who literally were just like, you dress them, you undress them, you dress them, you undress them. I'm like, are you insane? These are (laughs) dolls. We're going to project a story. This is Sweet Valley High over here. You guys suck. (laughs) So, you know, and and the same thing with like Lego friends. Like, yes, okay, maybe they're not as complex as building, um, you know, a TIE fighter. Or, but like the playability and the story surrounding that little playset is is marvelous, especially for the financial value. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll recount a little bit of that because I was thinking about the inception of when that female Lego came out, and I do I do recognize that the friend stuff right now is pretty much on point. Like it, it, like I say, the stuff that I've encountered, like I built a party bus for the Lego Movie Two, I think. And exactly that. It, it's fun. I'm like, holy crap, this is a comp. Like, it's it's a pretty good build, and it's built to the friend scale of minifig because the friend scale minifigs were the predominant ones because we were going into the sister's Lego collection, right? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really uh, a, a fun and exciting line. I could see <clears throat> definitely, especially understanding the, the metric of girls, uh, like, playing with it more than, you know, little boys. And, and being more immersed in in the play style, um, yeah, I hope I hope that the success keeps growing for it. Yeah. yeah, I have a couple things to get to before we have to move on, but I want to talk about pop vinyl figures, <laughs> and I don't want to um, piss anyone off, but I have to ask Lauren, what is the point of pop vinyl figures? They are plentiful, they have every license, and they are affordable. Um, and there is a little bit of a chase to them. Now, I'm not a big pop collector. Of course, as any toy uh, collector, I have a few in my collection. And being part of Toy Wizards, uh, I have been fortunate enough to get samples sent to me. So there's ones I really like. The, they're the TV icons. So, like, I have Chester Cheetah. I have... Um, I got the... 
penguin from Billy Madison, like the drunk penguin. Yes. Um, he, he's pretty <laughs> cool. So there's a few in like even I have a couple in my collection where I'm like, that's just a good looking toy. And it's usually, again, like cartoon things or robots. But I think and, you know, Funko was really, really smart. I remember going back to when Toys R Us shut down. Part of the reason that Funko wasn't hit as bad as other companies who had so much toy stock in Toys R Us, Funko was like, we don't put more than a small percentage of all of our inventory into one store. So Hot Topic has exclusives. Toys R Us had exclusives. Target has exclusives. Walmart has exclusives. Barnes & Noble has exclusives. Um, and then, of course, shows, individual shows have exclusives. So there is a little bit of a chase factor there. And for specific conventions, there'll be very limited runs. Now, I've had many, many conversations with people saying, are these actually worth anything? Or are they more like Beanie Babies? And I can say, no, they're not Beanie Babies um, because they're actually licensed things. And that's what people hold dear to them. You know, like a, like a, a random, like a Mickey Mouse pop that's very rare is going to be worth more than like an otter from nothing. <laughs> like Beanie yeah. Baby. That's the nature of it. Um, but I think that's what it is. In my opinion, they're, they're easy to, to go after. There's a little bit of a chase and they're very affordable. You know, you can get pops new in box from anywhere from $5 to $10. And the larger ones will be more like $25, $30. But I, I think that's what it is. They're just very affordable vinyl. <laughs> and I think it's that simple. Yeah, that's exactly I have a giant it. baby Yoda that cost me $60. <laughs> you, have the, you, have, you have the the 10 inch baby Yoda? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh I couldn't God. resist. I couldn't resist. But yeah, like, yeah I, I, you know what? I think out of all my pops, and I don't really collect them. Uh, it's, I collect them for exactly the reasons you've cited. Um, but a lot of the lines that I, I chase after stormtroopers specifically because they just look funny when you line up a whole bunch of pop stormtroopers um, as well. I, these are things that most of them I do open, uh, except for certain ones. Um, but I, I opened up all my Dark Crystal ones. And those ones I look back now, and those just came out a couple of years ago, and they ended the run really fast. Because I think they got cold feet about the Dark Crystal. And it was before Age of Resistance was announced. And now uh, most of those are sitting at like a couple hundred bucks when I look them up and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's something that's interesting about the uh, Funko Pops is that when they go out of print or that run is very, very small. And that's not something we're used to in our Western civilization. We're used to like, I want the toy and I just you know look it up and I buy it. But no, no, no. Like we're starting to follow other countries limited print runs. And so when it's gone, it's gone. You know, yeah. it's and that's that. When it goes in the vault, the price instantly jumps for some things, right? And it, it, you're right, too. Like, it's all due to the licensing, and it's all due to... Because the, the characters don't really even look much like the original subject matter. They, they bear a vague resemblance, you know, in a lot of cases. Now, they are getting more detailed. I'll, I'll give them credit there. Um, the the resemblance, and they're starting to, to actually allow themselves as a company to get away from that round dot idea for all of the eyes. Yeah, You know, because like I have a stormtrooper where it has round little beady eyes and it looks absolutely terrifying compared to the Mandalorian, the flame trooper, which actually retains the stormtrooper eye, the tear eye. And I'm like, well, what a difference in models here. Like it, it, there is a progression, um, but it, it is a bizarre thing that happened. You know, the hot topic exclusives. 
Target exclusives, Walmart. And a lot of the times it's just paint variants. Like it's still the same character as the base character. It's just there's different sheens of color or metallic or whatever the situation is. But man, does it ever create a mania with people where they're like, I have to get that. And sometimes that's enough. Like even right now on Entertainment Earth, it makes me think there's a um, from Avatar The Last Airbender. There's a new Zuko pop coming out. And in in, in the standard pop, I want to say his hands up and there's some flame coming out of it. And then there's a chase variant where his hands more in a fist pointing downward and there's flame coming out of it that way. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's going to be such a pro- not, a, not a problem in a bad way. But like, yeah, there's your chase. Arm up, arm down, flame up, flame down. And yeah. that, that's sometimes enough. Yeah. There's only been two um, sets that I've like obsessed over for pops and I like must get. And they are the Golden Girls and <laughs> <laughs> and the wow. Twin love- Peaks. Wow. What was the second one? Well, Twin you Peaks. said Golden Girls and? Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Laura Palmer in the bag. Like that's I love that one. Like that's an awesome one. And it took me forever to find the Golden Girls. Like I went to Hot Topic. I went to EB Games, which is our GameStop. I went to Walmart. I went to comic book stores. Like I needed oh, my Golden Girls. Now I, I get that we, I love the Golden Girls. Yeah. Yeah, thing, I I get the whole Golden Girls thing. I just didn't pick you for a pop collector of them. <laughs> I still surprise you, Phil. You know, one thing that we've been talking about here and there, and it, it, it's a word that makes collectors cringe sometimes, and that's exclusive and exclusivity and Target exclusive, Hot Topic exclusive, Walmart exclusive, Amazon exclusive. Is this making collecting harder, easier, more f- attractive? You know, what are, what are your thoughts, Lauren? That's a great question. Okay. Wow. Where do I begin? All right. So, you know, we're used to the idea of things being certain show exclusives as well, adding to that. So, with the, you know, with the convention industry, the way there's some shows have its own exclusive. So this will be a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive or a company like Hasbro might make a what's called a convention exclusive. And it's just the toy that's on tour this summer. So we have, you know, two things going on there some of those on tour exclusives you can actually buy online after the season like it's not a show exclusive where it's only being sold there and then it's gone from a business level like we were just talking about with funco i think it's smart for i think it's kind of cool for companies to you know separate their stock and give a little bit to each player um it give automatically can give that store business um, but, you know, if it's a website like Walmart or like GameStop where they just basically don't work, um, the exclusives aren't always it's not always in the favor of the buyer. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with exclusives because think about it. Exclusive doesn't always mean small run. You know, um, Entertainment Earth recently got an exclusive, two exclusives. One was the Mr. T WWE figure from Mattel. And it was like the stock was tiny. It it sold out in minutes. And then there was the Jurassic Park Dennis Nedry in the Barbasol can. Um, And that also sold out like that sold out super, super quick also. Um, And, you know, again, Entertainment Earth is an online collectible site um, that also gets exclusives. So, you know, we don't 
we as the consumer don't know, or as the collector, we don't always know if it's an exclusive, but there's going to be a lot of them made, or if it's an exclusive and it's a very limited run. <laughs> like, we don't know how frantic and rabid we should be. And, and it can make people very discouraged. I've been seeing a lot recently of people saying, I don't want to be a toy collector. I'm going to get out of the hobby, you know, because it's becoming so discouraging for people when, you know, in this world of exclusives and small runs. But at the same time, if I can sound like a, like a cynic, if I can be cynical, they're all collecting the same shit. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you yeah. collect something else. There's tons and tons and tons of toys. Like I went to a show not too long ago, the first one since quarantine, this tiny, tiny local show. And I found like sealed on card. I found skeleton warriors and, and, um, the sky and sky dancers. Like no one else bought that, but me. <laughs> and they were cheap. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, was that, great. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, you know, I think it adds a little bit to it. It is discouraging sometimes, but at the same time, if you go to a show, um, you know, you might find an exclusive that you'd never thought that you would be able to find. So for me, it makes me go to shows and shows outside of just the Toronto area. Um, you know, it, because here in Canada, one of the biggest issues that we have is we don't have target anymore. A lot of times they don't yes. ship these exclusives to us. So we're kind of, you know, SOL or shit out of luck as it pertains to wanting those exclusives. But if you go to Fan Expo or Comic-Con or, or whatever, um, you know, you might luck out and find those exclusives. So while it is discouraging, it kind of makes me, you know, I, I get that, 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 that urge to go to shows and, and just find whatever I need to find. Right. Yeah. You have to be out. You have to be on the field. And that's something that, you know, it's lost right now to COVID. Again, it won't be like this forever. Things are going to evolve. Things are going to change. But yeah, I've seen plenty of times where, okay, yes, you did not get that Comic-Con exclusive this year. You're discouraged. You couldn't wait in that line. You couldn't make it to the show. Three years later, you see it on somebody's table at another, at another show. You have to be patient with toy collecting. I have friends who are big toy collectors, like collectors houses like not a shelf not a room a house yeah and some of them it takes them 20 years to get their grail items but like then they find them and it's amazing so is there i think patience in the hobby is something that's being lost right now because um there's no toys on the shelves and there's no shows to be had so we're like forgetting about the patience and the hunt and you know again i collect a lot of little vinyl tchotchkes like things that we all played with as kids in the 90s like i have chuck e cheese toys on my desk because i'm a creep and i like chuck e cheese i have old mcdonald's toys because i'm a weirdo and i love mac tonight you know and it's that that makes me happy too it doesn't have to be all my my palpatine collection which yes i have a palpatine collection or it doesn't have to <laughs> always be you know it doesn't have to be you know getting the new cobra commander it's like Remember, it's like, it's like just sometimes sometimes little bits and pieces are enough. So that's just my opinion. And I think that, yeah. you, you know, you really hit the nail on the head when you said that patience, you know, and, and getting out there. Um, you know, you're not going to finish your collection in a day or a month or a year. Like you said, sometimes it can take years and years and years to find that holy grail piece that finishes your collection. And I just find that we're in a society where if it doesn't happen today or tomorrow, 
I don't want it to happen, so screw it. Um, you know, patience is a hell of a thing that we don't have enough of right now. And you said one thing that I really want to touch on before we go, and that's the holy grail piece. Everyone has one uh, when it comes to toys, comics, whatever. If you're a collector, you have a holy grail piece. And we're going to do a quick roundtable. Lauren, what is your holy grail toy collecting piece? You know what? It's really random to a lot of people who are probably listening to this, and they probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, the final season of Sailor Moon, um, back in like '96, had these characters called the Sailor Starlights. Yeah, and they had an attack weapon called the, I think it was called the Star Yell. Yep. And that toy from Bandai, 1996, costs like five hundred dollars today. Um, it's so rare. It's only in Japan. It's so expensive. And I've been saying since I was like 15 years old, buying toys on eBay, sending them literal like coins in the mail because there was no PayPal. I said, one day that thing will be mine. And I'm still waiting <laughs> and I don't have it yet. And that's okay. And they haven't released a new Bandai Proplica. And I'm just waiting on that chunky 96 toy. And I I'm going to have it one day. I'm going to get it, but I'm waiting. That's awesome. And I know exactly which toy you're talking about, and I wanted one too. Phil, what's your holy grail? Oh, probably a UCS Superstar Destroyer uh, uh, nice. Lego. Nice. I, I just felt at that point I, I couldn't collect big sets. And and when it was out, I missed it. And I really regret it ever since then. And it because it evokes such strong passion and whatnot from the empire strikes back you know my favorite star wars movie i just remember seeing that thing on screen and losing my mind as a kid and then to see it in lego and to know that it's like you know six feet long and just this behemoth i'm like i'd love to have the problem of finding a place to put that <laughs> that's awesome my uh holy grail of toys is the uss flag uh from gi <laughs> joe probably the biggest toy ever made <laughs> i don't know why but i just want that so badly um it's just like it, it's so cool and i just want that so badly it's the uss flag a hundred dollar toy back in the 80s um yeah if i ever see one on a shelf anywhere um i'm picking it up i don't care what it costs my mind went there too believe me I, that was in my that's in my top 10 yeah yeah, no, it's that and the other one uh, for me would be the uh, Soundwave uh, Transformers Generation 1 toy with the actual cassette working and all that stuff. Bro, heck yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely have some more Transformers. Oh, I love Moon Dreamer. I, I love girly toys from the 80s. So, like, I want all of the Golden Girl, not Golden Girls, but like Golden Girl, the Warrior Babes. Yeah. I want all of them. <laughs> I want Moon Dreamers. I want Lady Lovely Locks. So, I would definitely boost up my. My girly toy collection, um, but yeah, I'm st I'm still sticking by my Stariel. <laughs> it's I funny because it. when I was a, when I was really young, I was obsessed about Soundwave so much as a Transformer, and I didn't have any Transformers. They were way too expensive. But the comic store got in the Panther uh, cassette Savage. tape, and he sold it to me for seven dollars. And I'm telling you, I thought I was king shit on the field because I was like, <laughs> I got Panther, yeah. <laughs> the coolest, you know, it's not a robot, man. Panther. Yeah, so my brother, gave it up. my brother would be so jealous of that savage toy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. There you go. Lauren, any final words for our awesome listeners? Uh, final words. I 
Don't give up. Keep on collecting. Stay positive. Read Toy Wizards. Follow me on social media at Lauren Stone everywhere. And tell me what you collect. Awesome. Thank you so much. We hope to have you back because I feel like we only touched, you know, the tip of the iceberg as it pertains to all things toys. But I feel like this was an awesome conversation to, um, you know, for any new collectors, just, you know, don't be discouraged. Get out there. Have fun. You know, the world will get back to normal and go to shows, pick stuff up. Think of that toy that you wanted when you were younger and just couldn't have. And now you can have it that you're older. And for our younger listeners, well, ask your parents, what toys did they like? You might like them, you might not like them, but it's a hell of a, you know, collecting toys especially, it's just so much fun. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of the things that, that keeps life interesting. So Lauren, thank you so much. Uh, for joining us we hope yes to thank have you, you Lauren. it was oh, great yeah, having you, you on the show awesome. yeah I'll, uh, have me back anytime you guys are a blast oh thank you thank you so much and that was that what a fun interview lauren is honestly awesome to chat to um so knowledgeable um you know check out all of her work toy wizards it's really a lot of um great info that's honestly where i get all of my toy info for example when hasbro this past week released all of their um clone war figures that's how i knew that that was happening and then the all of the controversy with walmart and how they actually sold out before they went live um so it's very interesting what's actually going on um so phil what was your biggest takeaway from the conversation with lauren be honest it was um number one she's a great person uh, just fabulous knowledge, um, lots of experience. Like I was really struck with how much experience she had. I did research before, like I said, but mostly on Twitter and whatnot and completely like a normal idiot that I am. I didn't check out the YouTube. So I've been diving into that YouTube channel now and I'm just amazed with how much content they make on toys. Like just, just unboxing. It's pretty straightforward stuff in a lot of cases, but they also delve into, those problems that we talked about with exclusivity with with companies like Walmart and their lack of differentiation between identifying the needs of the fans. So they ship the toys in un, un, uncared for manners to collectors and the collectors get upset. You know, the toys are just showing up with damaged boxes, damaged cards, stuff like that. And it means a lot to collectors, right? Um, but yeah, it was. I just found it enlightening all around. I know that I was coming from my own corner of collecting and my own ideas and it was great for me to validate some of that stuff with uh such a a, a smart and engaged person in the industry exactly one thing that really struck to me was you know as we were talking with lauren was the fact that here in Canada, we kind of have the short end of the stick as it pertains to collecting because a lot of the exclusives go to Target and, you know, you uh, Walmart USA, um, even getting a exclusive from Hot Topic sometimes can be really hard, even though we have Hot Topic here. So sometimes, you know, we lose out on some of those exclusives um, and you can't get them shipped here for one reason or another, or the shipping cost is double, triple the price of the actual toy, which kind of, you know, it, it you have to kind of think twice before you make that purchase. Um, and I know that there are websites that kind of help you, but it's still, you know, the shipping costs and, you know, the border restrictions and things like that sometimes is a hindrance to actually collecting. But that's why I said, you know, go to your local toy um, conventions. 
you know, everyone always thinks about comic conventions, and, you know, here in Toronto, we have Fan Expo, we have Comic-Con, and th we have things like that, but there are actual toy conventions and swap meets and flea markets and things like that where you can always find those toys that you've been looking for those american exclusives and you know part of actually collecting for me is the hunt you know that was my favorite part about collecting comic books is when i had that uh, small little gap in my and in, in a particular run it's actually going to conventions and different stores and just trying to find that as frustrating as it is it's actually part of the appeal for me um but uh, yeah so you know it's it's yeah it, it to be a proper collector in this day and age it's just getting out there and trying to find the toy that you want and also you know it's it's, it's sometimes toys it's also for playing and sometimes i forget mm -hmm. that and that's kind of like my other takeaway was is that you know there are kids still who play with toys day to day so you know that's well kind of i can tell you personally i open a lot of the toys that i collect yeah because i i want to actually you know have the tactile feel of them i want to put them on display that type of thing. Sometimes there are certain types of boxes that might lend themselves to keeping them in the package. Yeah. But there are certain characters that I do open. And as well, when we're talking about um, tracking down American exclusives and whatnot, don't forget to check eBay and different sites like that too. If you're not, you know, into this pandemic world of getting out there a little bit of stuff starts opening up. I know that I've finished off a couple target exclusives through local ebay purchases so there are fans that are collecting it and basically offloading it in a pretty small yeah markup exactly and then ebay is a great source and resource for collectors in general um and you know the other thing that i can't even think off the top of my head right now uh you know it, it's it's in regards to oh collecting you know for comics Oftentimes, I would collect, but these collections are for myself. I never had any intention of actually selling my collection or, you know, whatever. Um, it was a personal collection for myself. It, I, you know, unless I was absolutely desperate when it came to money, I would never even think about selling my collection. Um, so, you know, with toys, I'm a little more open to the fact of, you know, decarding them and having them loose in a display or whatever, you know, because sometimes even storing them can take a lot of room especially you know the dc collectibles and the star wars black you know they they take yeah. up a lot of room so you know for me personally and we're going to dive into this a little more as we talk about collecting especially when we eventually have our full comic book episode and it's kind of like you know do you collect for yourself or do you collect to turn them around and that's a whole discussion that we're going to have down the line. But I want our listeners to start thinking about that. Send us feedback, you know, and uh, hopefully we can uh, have a great discussion as it pertains to collecting in general, because everyone collects for different reasons. Um, Phil, can you let our awesome listeners know how they can get a hold of us? Yeah, um, you can reach us at www.itscanonpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at itscanonpodcast.com or itscanonpodcast. Uh, you can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. And you subs can subscribe to our podcast uh, via anywhere you find podcasts, really. Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever. 
and uh, just click the subscribe button. Leave some feedback for us too. As well, I just want to give a plug out to Toy Wizards and uh, check out their uh, uh, Twitter at, at Toy Wizards. Um, check out their YouTube. Check out their website. You know, give them a Google. They've got lots of lots of different places on the internet to be found and talked to and followed. Exactly. There you go. I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Lauren Stone. It was great finally having this chat with you and finally getting you on the show. And, you know, we will for sure have her back on the show. So thank you so much yet again. And most importantly, thank you to our awesome listeners. You guys really do mean so much to Phil and I. Like I said, we make the show for ourselves. And if anyone listens, we really do appreciate it. So thank you so much. And we hope that you did enjoy this episode. And we will be back this weekend as we talk about all things comics, all things movies, all things video games, all things toys, all things TV, all things books, all things fandom, all things geek, everything and everything. And do you know why and what is the best part of it all, Phil? It's all in canon. There you go. It's all in canon. Thank you so much. As always, I'm Phil. He's Boris. Good night.